How's everyone doing? Good. Well, my privilege to be able to bring the word to you this morning as Pastor Chris is away working, finishing up on his dissertation, and we're continuing it in our series um, through the book of Psalms entitled The Songs of Jesus, and we're thinking about the book of Psalms as a songbook or a collection of songs, one from which Jesus would have sung or been familiar with or practiced. In fact, uh, all of the Jewish people back in Jesus' day would have been doing that kind of thing. By the way, let me just, would you, I think you need to just, I think, I'm sensing that you want to just say, what a great job band, our, our musicians, for all of that worship this morning. And Josh, thank you. Uh, that song, Lavish, uh, I, I heard that on the radio and uh, just thought that would be a fitting message, a fitting song for the message that I'm going to share this morning. And, and I asked Josh, can you pull that together with your group? And they did a great job, so well done. Thank you. So today I get the opportunity to speak. Pastor Chris asked me, uh, is there any psalm that you would like to speak about? And uh, certainly there was one that came instantly to mind. And I thought, but somebody else has already taken it, you know. So, But nobody had taken Psalm 23. So I said, that's the one I'd like to speak about this morning. Psalm 23, without a doubt, the most well-known of the psalms. I think you'd agree with me. It's uh, one that many of us know perhaps all of six verses by heart, or certainly parts of the psalm, all of those six verses by heart. And I get to thinking, you know, as popular as Psalm 23 is to us, um, was it Jesus' favorite psalm as well? Was it the most favorite song of the Jewish people back in that day? Uh, I'm going to go with it and say yes. <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's, what makes it so popular? Maybe back then, but certainly among us today. Why? What makes Psalm 23 so well known? Such a, a, a favorite among people, even non-Christians. People that aren't following God know about Psalm 23, and it's well known to them. Well, what makes it so popular? Well, I'm glad you asked. If, as I thought about Psalm 23, the thing that came to my mind, if there's a single reason, is Psalm 23 calms the soul. It calms the soul. In fact, there are times when you can go to a funeral service, and Psalm 23 will be used as the basis of a message that someone might give. But as we go through this psalm this morning, and I'm, we heard it from the message version, I'm going to read it from a more familiar version in a second. And as I read that, I just want us to soak it in. I don't want us to let the familiarity of that just kind of say, oh, I'm used to that. I want us to really take it in as we read it. And then I want to look at some benefits that can be in our lives from this psalm. So let's read that together, if, if we will, this morning. Um, let me get my notes here from the ESV version, and I believe it's on the... You know what? Let me, let me give you a couple quotes first. Uh, that Don't take my word on what makes the psalm so popular. There's a couple of people that I came across that uh, help us to understand this. Pastor and Bible scholar Bernard W. Anderson. By the way, that, that initial W stands for word. How'd you like to have a middle name named Word? Bernard Word Anderson. This is what he says, and I think this is pretty significant. No single psalm expresses more powerfully man's prayer of confidence out of the soul's depth 
to a God whose purpose alone gives meaning to the span of life from womb to tomb. He says no other psalm does that than Psalm 23. And then Mark Taylor has a quote that I like. He says, Psalm 23 shows us God is extravagant in his goodness. He doesn't just feed us. He prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. He doesn't just bless us. He fills our cup to overflowing. He doesn't just offer his goodness and love. He pursues us with them. We aren't simply his assignment. God is not just looking at us as, um, I have an assignment to go after them. No, he we are his passion, and that's forever. That's kind of appealing, isn't it? It's very appealing, isn't it? So let's dig into this psalm at, at what I see are some tremendous benefits, but let me read it for you, and you soak it in, if you will. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From the start, we see David saying one thing that's very significant. He begins by referring to the Lord as my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. And it clearly helps us to see there's something of ownership here, that David owns this thing called the Lord. There's something very real about the Lord in David's life, this shepherd that David's talking about. Something of belonging to. You know, the Lord is my shepherd and I am his as well. And really it's something of a relationship. Now, mind, mind you that when David wrote this, there was no Jesus to have a relationship with back then, but there was a possibility of a serious relationship with the living God, with the great shepherd. And I believe David's key on this. He had a personal relationship with with his shepherd, the Lord, if we want to refer to it that way this morning. And so when we speak about the Lord this morning, it, let's think of it as the equivalent of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you go back to Genesis, Jesus was present, but we won't get into the theology lesson of all of that. So it is possible that Jesus had, a, or David had a relationship with Jesus. So think about that. Stew on that a little bit. But David knew the great shepherd, the Lord in a personal way. I'm a chaplain at the university, and I get to talk to a lot of students uh, in the national and global campus, that is. I'm not on the main campus. So I talk to a lot of adult students online, internationally, people of other faiths, and I get to hear the talk of, I believe in God. I believe in God. And when I hear that, I, I'm, I believe they are sincere in what they are saying is their belief in God. And I believe they're sincere in what they believe is that belief in God. I mean, they've constructed belief systems that have been in their lives for years, and you can't just say, well, that's wrong. You have to go to where they are and start to dissect some of their beliefs to help them see perhaps what they're missing. And it can take several emails or phone calls, so on and so forth, and a lot of prayer. So I hear a lot of people say, I believe in God. 
in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, is that belief in God on the level of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where he would be known as perhaps, let's say, my friend, a friend. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to have a relationship with God where he is your best friend, and there's relationship on that level. Well, I think David had that kind of relationship with God, with his great shepherd, and he knew him as a friend. His life had been through a lot, has, will continue to go through a lot after Psalm 23, and through it all, I think David found his shepherd to be, he had a relationship with him, and he, he could know him as a friend. So David knew the great shepherd, the Lord, in a personal way. And then he goes on in the Psalms to describe some benefits that were realized in his life that he recognized, benefits that I want us to explore for in our lives as well. What happens, what results when you and I know the great shepherd, the Lord, in a personal way on a friendship level? David goes on to uh, tell us of seven benefits that I want to share with you. Now, if you're a believer... uh, I invite you to recognize these seven benefits. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if he's your friend, he's your Lord, he's your master, these are things that you're going to recognize in your life as being evident, either in the past, now, and forever, and always. I'm not sure, but as you think of those in your life, I invite you to say thank you to God. Just, just express to him your gratitude, if you will. There's a lot of people in the world that don't have these benefits, And if they're real in your life, you've got a lot of reason to say thank you, God, for them. If knowing Jesus is not a reality in your life on a friendship level, keep in mind these are benefits that you can see realized in your life. And I'll give you an opportunity to act on that at the end of the service. So, seven benefits of knowing the Great Shepherd of knowing Jesus Christ. The first one, the first benefit is that I'll never lack any good thing. Never lack any good thing. We see that in verse 2 with the idea of green pastures. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What I get from that is is that God is provider. God is provider. He's a generous God and he loves to provide for his children. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. So if anything good in your life, anything good you've received, anything good you've gotten, anything good period in your life is directly from the Father coming down because he's a generous God and he loves being generous with his children, you and I. And so there's, you can't take any credit for what you got in your life if it's good. If it's bad, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say about that. But everything that's good is from God. All my needs are met. You know, it's so good to wake up in the morning. Now, not everything I want do I have, but everything I need, I can wake up in the morning going, I can face this day knowing God's going to provide for me. And that's such a calming, reassuring thing that I don't have to stress and strive about what I need in life because God knows it. He even knows it before I know it and I'm aware of it. And he's orchestrating a solution well ahead of time for my life. And I can just live carefree knowing that, can't, can't we? We can just have a carefree life. doesn't mean that I can just live irresponsibly thinking that everything's going to be provided for me. Let me tell you, that's fantasy. If you think you can just kick back and the government's going to always pay for your life and, and the money's going to come in from someone else and you're going to win the lottery and you're going to win, you know, go on some game show and, and everything's just going to come for free. 
it'd be nice to have that kind of money coming in or provision for things in your life. We're not talking about obtaining things and having a lifestyle that's up here at a certain level. We're talking about the things in life that really matter, the things that lead to a fulfilling life, the things that give me purpose and meaning in life. Those are the things that God is in the business of providing for us, the things that really make a difference. I can't get those things apart from a relationship with the great shepherd. And he will provide for those things in my life, and I don't have to contend with getting them. That's the idea of green pastures as I see it. It simply recognizes there are things in life that the Heavenly Father wants to give me and you for purposeful living, for fulfillment, and for meaning. Now, think about that in your life, if you will. I don't know how that happens, but I look back at my life since I gave my life to the Lord in 1984, and I look back, and there has just been one faithfulness act of God throughout my life of providing and orchestrating solutions for my needs. And I, I've, I can just look back and say, I am a blessed man. I have never been in need. Doesn't mean that I don't have all that I want, but I have had all that I need in life. That is an incredible benefit of knowing the Lord. And there's a lot of people around us that aren't aware that their needs aren't being met. Meanwhile, they're contending with what they want. And it never brings this fulfillment and satisfaction and peace of life. And they're always striving. And they're climbing the ladder, finding that the end of climbing never stops. And it's just a nasty lie. Every good thing from God. I'll never lack any good thing in life. So think about that in your life and say, thank you, God. Then the second, second benefit is uh, peace and comfort, also in verse 2. And that's the idea of still waters, still waters. It says, he leads me beside quiet waters in the NIV, in the ESV, still waters. Now, I have not talked to a sheep farmer or a shepherd, if you will, and uh, to find out if this is true, but from what I read, it's important that sheep are led beside still waters because if, they tr if they're led besides rough waters, turbulent waters, if you will, that they risk drowning because their nostrils are so close to their mouth that as they drink, they can suck in water and drown. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's go with it because it sounded good for my application. <laughs> It helps us to see how important quiet waters is, how important still waters is. He gives peace, the great shepherd, Jesus. He gives peace for this life, this crazy life, and comfort for us that this world and all its offerings cannot match. There's a, there's a solidity there. There's a basis. There's a foundation of, of, of peace and comfort. Think of the times in your life, in the past, even maybe right now, we have been through quite a year. It's as if you, you've, you know that. But what a year it has been. How many of you can just say, you know what? God has really shown me peace and comfort. I've experienced that in my life through this past year. As hard as it was, as painful as it was, as horrendous as it was, that came from God because you knew him as your personal Savior. So thank him for that. Thank him for the peace and comfort in a turbulent life that we all went through. So the first benefit is uh, never lack any good thing. The second one is peace and comfort, both from verse 2. In verse 3, we see a third benefit, and that's forgiveness. 
He restores my soul. This is a great benefit, a restored soul, soul restoration. You know, some people spend a lot of time restoring things, and it's, frankly, it's a lot of fun and fulfilling to do those kinds of things. Houses, antique furniture, um, oh, all sorts of other things, cars. Um, I personally know what it takes to restore a car because I personally did it and owned one, a 1967 Mustang Fastback. I think it's going to show up on the screen there. I guess not. So it, it was a black beauty. There it is. Okay, I can't see it back there, but yeah. I know the effort that it took in restoring that over a two-year period. There's a lot of people making a lot of efforts at restoring a lot of things. Sometimes um, we'll spend time restoring other things as well as we get older. Like I find I'm getting older. I'm focused on restoring my youth by keeping healthy. And a lot of people are into that as well. Nothing wrong with that. But they're spending time restoring their health. So houses, cars, antique furniture, health. Hopefully, we're in the business of restoring relationships with others. It's a sad thing what we've been through this past year. I have seen so many relationship breaches, so many bridges burned with, between people who were once friends over political ideology, over a COVID matters, and it's just heartbreaking to see how many people who were once friends now hardly speak to one another. If you're in that camp, I hope you're investing in restoring relationships with others because we need friends, not enemies, and not ex-friends. Spend time restoring those relationships. Seek forgiveness from one another and take action that way. Sadly, not enough folks, though, focus on the restoration of their souls. Of all the things we can invest our time in restoring things, and some of them are fun, some of them are fulfilling, some of them are critically important. Not enough people are focused on restoring their souls, the restoration of their souls, which can only come from knowing God, the great shepherd, in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To experience forgiveness from God and having your soul refreshed is such a great thing to know. And this is what David experienced, a forgiven and restored soul. David was not, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he didn't always get it right. He sinned. He committed adultery. We know the things that he constantly would do in his life. But yet, God still said, he's a man after my own heart. And David knows then what it means to have a forgiven and a restored soul as well. We're all tempted to sin. I'd like to think we're not sinning, but we're tempted to sin and sometimes we fail. You can have forgiveness from God and you can have a restored soul. If you've never ever received Jesus into your life, your soul is unrestored. Think about that. And there's one soul restorer that I'd like for you to know. Personally, nothing in this temporal world, nothing, no relationship, no endeavor compares with my soul being forgiven and restored by Jesus Christ. And uh, I love that. Thank you, God. So tell him thank you for your restored soul this morning, if that's what you have in your life. A fourth benefit I see also in verse 3 is guidance. And that's the term, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. We can look out at this world and we can see an abundance of the signs, the evidence of people 
following in the paths of unrighteousness, can't we? It's a mess out there. And it's heartbreaking, it's sad to see what has happened in our world, not only just over the past year, but it seems over the past couple years, just heartache and people at odds and riots and turmoil and nobody views anyone else as right. Everyone views their own view as the only absolute view, it seems. And it's just, we're, we're so divided. We're so at odds. We're so polarized. And it's a mess out there. The signs of living an unrighteous nut life is what that is. And God wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness. But we don't have to look out there either just to get a picture of this. We can look right here at our own lives and our own hearts and see that uh, our hearts are corrupt as well. That apart from God, we don't go a good way. And so it's out there, it's in here. And then the uncertainty of what can happen in our own lives. This is not a happy message at this point. This is a sobering message point. To think, you know, my tomorrow is not guaranteed. And at any point in my life, I could get COVID and die. I could get hit by a car while riding my bicycle. I, sorry, honey, I don't mean to put fear into your mind that way, but it, 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 we just don't know what's going to happen the very next moment. And so with all that uncertainty and with all that's going on in the world, why wouldn't we want someone to lead us in the paths of righteousness? You can have that by knowing the great shepherd, a leader in the paths of righteousness. You can attempt to be a good person, but at the end of the day, goodness doesn't cut it. You need to be righteous and follow in the paths of righteousness. And so guidance, that's a great benefit. Forgiveness, guidance, and a fifth benefit that I see is courage. Courage, and that's walking through the valley of the shadow of death in verse 4. Now, I think it's worth noting here, that up till now, that David is kind of talking about his great shepherd, kind of third person, like he. But now he switches it to you, if you see that there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And I have to believe that it was in the valleys of his life that God was most real to David where he suddenly realized, I have a friend that's walking with me indeed, and I know it, and I sense it, and he helps me through this valley. Have you walked through the valley of the shadow of death? Maybe personally yourself with some physical ailment, maybe you were near death, that's the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us have walked through the valley of the shadow of death with loved ones who passed away. My mother passed away, it was five months ago Friday, from COVID pneumonia. And that was a rough time in my life. That was a, that was a, a very hard time. It took her in four weeks. And I, it, it was just unbelievable. And I still am in sort of denial about it. But as I walked through that valley with my mother, watching her de decline, watching her suffer, watching her plead with Jesus just to take her because she couldn't breathe a breath, if, you ever, if you've never been able to get a deep breath for a long period of time, that's terrifying to that person. That was her. She was going through that. 
And during that time, my own vision was blurred. I, it was just an unreal situation, but God was my sight. I clearly know that. He saw me through it, and he helped me to see as I ought to have seen during that time. I've never been taxed emotionally like that before in my life, but he gave me a strength, and he helped me to see, to, to have the courage to, to walk through this valley with my mother. And I'm so thankful for the people that walked through that valley with me, the healthcare workers, the medical professionals. A lot of people were in that valley of death with me and with my mom. And many of you have been there as well, the valley of the shadow of death. And I wanted to deny that uh, my mom was just going to be another COVID statistic. Not my mom. She's lived for you, Lord. She's masked. She's done all the things. She's distanced. She stayed home. Yet she got it. And she's in heaven now. But it was a valley period for me. And I knew God very real in that valley. And David knew God very real in his valleys as well. In fact, he says, you are with me and I have courage because of that. Without God in our lives, without the great shepherd in our lives, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we only have what we can muster in our own strength to make it through the adversities of life. And that's not a lot of strength in and of ourselves. I'm reminded of a family that wanted to plant a garden in their backyard. And so the father asked the, his son, who was young, to go out and start to clear the rocks out of the area where they would till, because you can't till with rocks in the area. And so he set out to collecting these rocks and setting them off to the side in a pile. Well, there was this one big rock that he had that he simply was a big challenge. I mean, it was huge, and he could not move it. As much as he tried, he budgeted it, he tried to get it to roll, he tried leveraging it, he could not move it. And meanwhile, his dad was at the kitchen window watching all this go on. So his dad goes out and says, son, I see you're having some problems here moving this rock. Have you, tried, have you, have you really tried using all your strength? And his dad, or the son looked up at his dad kind of like, seriously, dad? I have tried everything I know to do to move this rock. I'm just not strong enough to do this. And his dad said, well, son, are you sure that you've used all your strength to try to move this rock? And, you know, the son's getting a little ticked off now at his dad saying, Dad, I have tried. What can I do? What do you want me to do? And his dad said, son, you haven't used all your strength until you've asked me to help you. And that's kind of like what we're talking about with God is you're facing adversity. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. You've got hardships in life. It's okay to ask God for help. A lot of people think that if you're a Christian, you're a wimp. That you don't, if you believe in God, that that's a crutch in life. I tell you, depending on God for help is not a sign of weakness. It's evidence of intelligence. It's evidence of intelligence when you ask God for help. David asked for God for help. He had him in the valley of the shadow of death. And so uh, you get courage from a personal relationship with the great shepherd. Courage that is beyond what you can muster in your own strength. A sixth benefit uh, in verse 5, joy. Joy. Um, now I'm, I'm kind of a stoic person, if you maybe could tell that. I get excitable about some things. But I'm basically a stoic person. And one person, could probably, you could probably say that, well, you don't have a lot of joy in your life. Well, I'm not giddy about being happy about things all the time. If that's, I think that joy and happiness can be a personality-driven thing. 
Because there, this joy that I'm talking about, and, and that's the idea of my cup overflowing in verse 5, it can be something that's a foundation in everyone's life regardless of your personality type. And you don't even have to show joy. It's just something that's there, foundational at your being, in the marrow of your bone. And it's something that just carries you through and it gives you a solid strength to face everything as you go through life. Now, I can be happy and I can smile, but sometimes I don't want to be happy and I don't want to smile because life is hard. But yet I am joyful because I know what I have in God. I know what Jesus has provided for me and I know that he's there with me. And it's unlike anything we can possibly get from earthly happenings or circumstances or experiences. And it's nothing that this world with all its offerings can take away from us. You know, you can get things, cars, whatever, and it can disappear. And then you're left, you know, like, okay, what do I do? And I contend with this thing. And happiness is so conditional, but joy is constant. A joy that comes from the Lord is constant. That's a tremendous benefit that I see. Now, seventh and our final benefit is easily, it's a take-home for us, eternal reward in heaven, and that's in verse 7. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our musicians are going to come at this point, and they're going to play a little bit more of that uh, song, Lavish. And, um, but I want us to think about an eternal reward in heaven. The scriptures, as I kind of alluded to already, tell us that life is a race that someday will end for all of us. However long the day is, the night will come. And the night will come for sure for all of us. Whenever that time comes, we need to make sure and certain that we will have finished the race well, having lived a life in obedience to Jesus Christ, a life of relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you don't want to face that end of that, that darkness that's coming, that night that's coming, without the conviction that Jesus Christ is in your heart and that you're living for him. For David, uh, the Lord was his shepherd, and as a result, he is living and he is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And I trust that the Lord is your uh, great shepherd, your leader, and you're ready to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But if not, you can simply have that in your life. How does that happen? We can pray about it. But it happens in your heart, right where you're sitting, with you acknowledging your need for Jesus and humbling yourself and saying, I'm incomplete and I need a savior. And I've tried to run my life my way too long. And I've lived life through my understanding. And there's another way that's much better. Your best life, your best life is one that's lived with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, letting him lead your life. And all you have to do is just say, that's true. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life and start to transform you. All the, all the Holy Spirit needs is your permission to just come in to the space that you are occupying. That's all it takes. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. So if your conscience is speaking to you right now about your need for a personal Savior, a need of a relationship with Jesus Christ to be your, your great shepherd, just agree with that. 
Maybe you'll want to come forward to an altar this morning. Now, what is an altar about? An altar is something where sacrifices were, were, were laid upon and consumed, burned up. That's what we have here. Maybe God is speaking to you so powerfully this morning about surrendering your life, just casting it all away. Just, you're, you're done contending with life as you've tried to live it. And you need to set yourself on an altar and let God just consume you. And you need, maybe you need to come to an altar. Would you stand this morning with me at this point and just let, as the band plays, God just speak to you? And if, if coming to an altar is the thing to do, then someone will pray with you. But if in your seat you're just saying, I need, to, I need what Bob's talking about in my life. I need Jesus. Tell somebody about that decision that you're making right now. Don't let it be a secret. Don't let it be a private thing. Tell somebody. Let someone else walk alongside you to help you. I tell you, when I became a Christian at age 24, I had people come alongside of me. And if I didn't have that, I would be tempted to go back to the old crowd and, and just fall back to what I was doing. And I needed people and I needed to let it be known. And God provided wonderfully. And I had I, it was just off and running with God. Let Satan tell you this is a private thing. I got to keep it to myself. Tell somebody. Let others help you. Let God have a chance to really take you further in this. We've been talking at the university about the heaviness that several people are feeling, not just students, but employees. And I know there's life has been heavy for us all. And I'm going to pray and... Uh, I'm going to pray for that spirit of heaviness. I love the idea that uh, we can put on a garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. And so as we go from this place, make it a point to praise God. Praise Him openly. Praise Him every day. Schedule times to sing to Him, to sing worship songs. And see what that will do for the spirit of heaviness that a lot of us carry in life. I think David had a spirit of heaviness, and it was out of that that he wrote Psalm 23. And he recognized I need to praise him and I need to thank, thank God for the ways he has been, the benefits that he gave him. So let me pray. And then Pastor Jared's coming to give our benediction. Lord, thank you for your truth, your word. What an incredible thing to think about is the thoughts of God put down by inspired by the Holy Spirit men to paper. Thank you for the gift of your word to us, Lord, that still lives still helps us to navigate life effectively. Lord, I pray for those who have made decisions to let you into their life. They've surrendered their lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come in and start to transform. Lord, uh, I pray for spiritual protection for these. I pray, God, for all of us as we have recognized how good you are to us and we've affirmed the benefits that we have in our lives. And we will leave this place continuing to be grateful for you. Lord, for the spirit of heaviness that is among us that uh, many carry. Lord, as we praise you, we're going to trust the truth of your word that uh, putting on a, a garment of praise will lift that spirit of heaviness. Lord, so thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.